Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Monday, December 5th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, 2023 is going to be a big year for the public domain, and especially for one estate who will finally be losing control of a character they've tried their very best to wring every last dollar from for over a century. Plus, Oxford English Dictionary officially declared Goblin Mode as their word of the year. And Saturday Night Live finally did something I've been wanting them to do for almost 20 years. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. One of the more exciting facets of the turn of the new year for me is the reminder of which works of art will be entering the public domain here in the U.S., Public domain means creative works to which no exclusive intellectual property rights apply. Especially at the start of the year, this usually means works whose copyright has expired. And that means if someone wants to produce and profit from an adaptation or cover of one of these works, they won't need to seek out permission or a license from the copyright holders, usually the estate of the deceased original creator. Quoting from Copyright Lately, The public domain status of all of these works was further delayed by 1998's Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act, or CTEA, which extended the term of copyright protection for subsisting copyrighted works by 20 years. Works copyrighted prior to 1978 had their terms extended from 75 years to 95 years from the date of publication. Following a 20-year hiatus that ended in 2019, a new crop of works has entered the U.S. public domain each year on January 1st. In 2023, this will include all works first published in 1927. End quote. This past year, the very first Winnie the Pooh story by A.A. Milne entered the public domain, which is how the slasher flick Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey has gotten away with existing, so long as they don't, as they've been very careful to do, portray any characters or other details that were first included in the Disney adaptation in the 1960s or in subsequent Milne books, the next of which will be entering the public domain on January 1st. 
Apart from the second Winnie the Pooh book, there are some other interesting works being freed next month. Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse, the first three Hardy Boys novels, The Gangs of New York by Herbert Asbury, music-wise songs like Blue Skies by Irving Berlin, Old Man River from the musical Showboat, and I Scream, You Scream, We All Scream for Ice Cream will all be entering the public domain. Most notably among the movies is Metropolis, the sci-fi German expressionist silent film, a hugely influential work both in film and in sci-fi as an overall genre. But the big news surrounding the public domain drops this year is The Casebook of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which contains the final lingering Sherlock Holmes stories to enter the public domain in the U.S. Now, I've discussed the curious case of the Sherlock Holmes U.S. copyright in past episodes, in particular back in the summer of 2020 when Netflix was sued by the Conan Doyle estate over their portrayal of Sherlock in their Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill-helmed middle-grade book series adaptation, Enola Holmes. Link in the show notes if you want a refresher and to hear more about that particular case. But here is a brief summary of the copyright issue, quoting from Red Points, Between 1887 and 1927, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote four novels and 56 short stories featuring the beloved detective Sherlock Holmes. The copyrights for these works expired in the UK and in Canada in 1980, but were revived there in 1996 and then expired again in 2000. Now, the Sherlock stories are all in public domain in these locations— But because of differences in copyright law, some of the last stories are still protected in the United States. Specifically, nine short stories from The Casebook are still under copyright. They were written between 1923 and 1927, and they will enter the public domain by 2023. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle created the latter batch of the stories after World War I, which took his son and brother. The Sherlock of these stories is more human. He has empathy and emotion. The world was accustomed to a Sherlock that was cold and calculating at all times, so this was a surprising development, end quote. That change to Sherlock's character is what the Conan Doyle estate has used as the basis of several lawsuits over the years. Anytime an adaptation that was depending on the public domain of the Sherlock Holmes stories to avoid paying a licensing fee portrays Sherlock as too emotional and compassionate, the Conan Doyle estate comes a-knocking with a cease and desist. Copyright Lately elaborates, quote, The principle that characters which evolve over time don't enter the public domain all at once was established by the 2014 opinion in Klinger v. Conan Doyle Estate Limited. The Klinger case arose because the Arthur Conan Doyle Estate tried to claim that Doyle's Sherlock Holmes character would stay out of the public domain so long as any individual work depicting the character remained protected, but the Seventh Circuit rejected that view. Instead, the court ruled that a copyrighted character begins to fall into the public domain when the first published story featuring that character enters the public domain. At this point, story elements, including characters covered by the expired copyright, become fair game for follow-on authors. At the same time, those aspects of the character's evolution that don't appear until later works may still be eligible for copyright protection. While later iterations of a character may be protected, you can't bootstrap the copyright in a derivative work to extend protection on the original work. Because author Klinger was only looking to adapt the Holmes and Watson characters as they appeared in the stories that had lapsed into the public domain, he was free to do so. 
Still, the fact that fully 98% of the Sherlock Holmes works are in the public domain hasn't stopped the Doyle estate from taking the position that nearly anyone who wants to create a derivative work featuring the character needs to get a license. End quote. But when the ball drops in Times Square at midnight on January 1st, the gig will be up. Every single story, portrayal, and character trait of Sherlock Holmes in the original Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stories will be fair game. I guess you could say, the game will be afoot. And it's exciting because Sherlock Holmes is, by varying counts, either the most or second most portrayed character on screen, second to Dracula. But that's just on screen. According to Red Points, if you combine film, music, radio, stage, video games, and more, there are over 25,000 products related to the famous detective. And that's not including the enormous amount of unpublished fan works, written fiction, visual art, and more, which fans have been producing since the 1800s. Sherlock, much to the chagrin of Doyle, who tried in vain to kill off the character and be done with him several times, was basically the first modern fandom, one which was organized, generative, globally reaching, and had actual effects on the output of the original author. And all of this was in part because of the excellent storytelling by Doyle, but also due to the perfect storm of the growing global popularity of newspapers and periodicals, the increasing population of people who could read and had time to read leisurely, and as the series went on, the introduction of radio and then movies and television. The longest continually running Sherlock fan group, the Baker Street Regulars, was founded back in 1934. So, an enormous amount of enthusiasm for and creative works around the fictional detective have always been there. And while so much has been published over the years, this little snag with Sherlock's emotions has prevented a lot of other content from being published. So what might we see now? In particular, fans of the pairing of Sherlock Holmes and John Watson romantically are excited by the prospect that that relationship might now be portrayed in published adaptations, given that most of those portrayals include a bit more emotion and warmth from your run-of-the-mill previously public domain homes, so my understanding is that's been one of the snags in getting publication for some of those adaptations. Now that the Conan Doyle estate will no longer have any claim to any part of the copyright of the character or any of the stories, fans are excited to see what may come. And if you are excited for the Sherlock Holmes drop or any of the other public domain releases this year, you can celebrate with the Internet Archive in January. On the 19th, they'll be hosting a virtual party with a lineup of entertainers, historians, activists, and more celebrating all of the new works being released. And on the 20th, they will be holding an in-person event in San Francisco, and in particular at that event they will be screening the winning entries from their film remix contest, which, if you've got some video editing chops, you should enter. The challenge is to make a 2-3 minute video celebrating at least one work entering the public domain next year. The top three winners will get cash prizes, and the deadline isn't until January 16th, so if that sounds like something you'd be into, hit up the link in the show notes for more details. All of the dictionary's choices for words of the year this year are kinda weird. I told you about Cambridge Dictionary in England who picked Homer, as in a baseball home run, see also a word most Brits have never heard before. 
Collins Dictionary went substantially more relevant by declaring permacrisis the word of the year. Merriam-Webster here in the States also went with a relevant yet depressing pick. They announced last week that their word of the year is gaslighting. But now, Oxford English Dictionary, you know, the renowned dictionary that you need a university subscription to even access the full features of, they have decided their word of the year is goblin mode. Now, for reference, last year's word of the year was vax, and the year before was climate emergency. But this year, goblin mode. Now, goblin mode is a term I only ever heard in passing, and by passing, I mean almost exclusively on Twitter and TikTok. I kind of got what it meant, but I never cared enough to investigate further, and am almost positive I never once heard it uttered in the physical realm. Here's Mashable's best effort at describing it, quote, In case you're not a super online person, goblin mode started as a meme. It means getting kind of gross, but in a chaotic, self-centered way. Oxford defined it as a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. If you need examples, I've got you. I'll go goblin mode and eat cold leftovers out of my fridge with my hands. It is certainly goblin mode when I chug a cold brew then take a nap. Spending all day in the dark in sweatpants? Goblin mode. End quote. Mashable also points out that in addition to the goblin core aesthetic taking off online over the past couple of years, just kind of like cottage core but a bit creepier or grosser, Goblin Core did at least go mainstream enough for some people's Spotify Wrapped to describe their music taste as Goblin Core. Now, Oxford English Dictionary, fulfilling their role as charting the etymology of words, notes that the term was first seen on Twitter all the way back in 2009, but that it particularly peaked on social media in February of this year, quote, quickly making its way into newspapers and magazines after being tweeted in a mocked-up headline. The term then rose in popularity over the months following as COVID lockdown restrictions eased in many countries and people ventured out of their homes more regularly. Seemingly, it captured the prevailing mood of individuals who rejected the idea of returning to normal life, or rebelled against the increasingly unattainable aesthetic standards and unsustainable lifestyles exhibited on social media. End quote. Oxford English Dictionary points to plenty of media outlets who used the word in a valiant attempt to prove its broad relevancy. However, there is one crucial piece of this puzzle that I have yet to reveal— Mashable phrased it best, quote, In what is surely not a coincidence, this is also the first year Oxford opened the competition to a public vote. Basically, we've got Bodie McBoatface Redux. It was a landslide victory. BBC reported Goblin Mode got 93% of the more than 300,000 votes. Metaverse finished second. End quote. So, yeah, basically the very online crowd gamed the system to make the top word one which only the very online crowd are really familiar with. Now, to be fair, in addition to Metaverse, the other contender in the poll was hashtag I stand with, like with the hashtag included. So all of the choices were incredibly high key online. And while the idea of a public poll for Word of the Year makes sense in theory, we should have long ago learned our lesson about the accuracy of these things. 
I say this as someone who accidentally played a not insubstantial role in helping that blue and purple spider monster drawing become the official I Voted sticker for Ulster County this year. Though like Goblin Mode as the word of the year, Ulster County officials seem to take that in stride. And honestly, as odd a choice as it may be, like that chaotic little sticker, there's something about it that really does hit on how we've all been feeling lately. Casper Grathwall, president at Oxford Languages, had this to say, quote, We were hoping the public would enjoy being brought into the process, but this level of engagement with the campaign caught us totally by surprise. The strength of the response highlights how important our vocabulary is to understanding who we are and processing what's happening to the world around us. Given the year we've just experienced, goblin mode resonates with all of us who are feeling a little overwhelmed at this point. It's a relief to acknowledge that we're not always the idealized, curated selves that we're encouraged to present on our Instagram and TikTok feeds. This has been demonstrated by the dramatic rise of platforms like Be Real, where users share images of their unedited selves, often capturing self-indulgent moments in goblin mode. People are embracing their inner goblin, and voters choosing goblin mode as the word of the year tells us the concept is likely here to stay. End quote. Really, voters chose goblin mode because publications like PC Gamer rallied their readers to do just that. But you know, two things can be true at once, especially in the goblin realm. So, I have complicated feelings about Saturday Night Live, and they sometimes bring on guests that I personally don't think should be given an extra platform, or sometimes make light of issues in ways that I find more offensive and tired than actually clever. But it's also a show that I grew up watching, so it feels familiar, and sometimes it really is funnier than a lot of people give it credit for. So I was particularly stoked back in 2003 when they cast Kenan Thompson, because the other big sketch comedy show of my childhood was Nickelodeon's All That, on which Keenan starred. Basically designed to be exactly an SNL for kids, in the early days of All That, I think we all kind of assumed that the teenagers on that show would grow up to be on SNL. But then years passed, and most of those actors faded from the limelight, or crashed and burned in super tragic child star ways. So when it was announced in 2003 that one of the original All That cast members was finally joining SNL, I thought that was the coolest development ever. And at the time, Keenan was the first ever SNL cast member to be born after SNL debuted in 1975. He was even turned down a few times for looking too young. And it's wild to think of how he was thought of as this young kid when he has now become the longest running cast member of all time. Despite how many millennials know him from all that, Keenan and Kel, and the Mighty Ducks, his childhood work has only been acknowledged here and there in his 20 years on SNL, which makes what happened over the weekend that much more awesome. With Kiki Palmer as the guest host, the show imagined a gritty reboot of the old Nickelodeon sitcom, Kenan and Kel. And I won't give much more away, but if you were a fan of Kenan and Kel back in the 90s, you've gotta give it a watch. I literally found myself grinning from ear to ear as I was watching it, and the reaction online has been about the same. 
Now, I know not everyone listening would have grown up with Keenan and Kel, but for those of you who did, I felt an obligation to let you know about this sketch. You've got to watch it. Link is in the show notes. But that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.